Arthago Delinda Est. Hello, and welcome to Everything's Political. I'm your host, Taya Shoemake. You can find us online at everythingspolitical.org. The email address for the show is podcast at everythingspolitical.org. Shout out to Magic Man Joe Stricker, the William Barrett Travis of Podcast Producers. William Barrett Travis, the lieutenant colonel who was sent to reinforce the troops at the Alamo, uh, on which Santa Ana advanced today, on this day, in 1836. So, Joe, you're the man. Legend has it that uh, Barrett, at one point, unsheathed his sword, cut a line in the dirt, and asked those willing to die for the freedom of Texas to cross. Only one man out of the 190 left, and uh, as a result, obviously, lived to tell part of the tale. So you can read a little bit more about William Barrett Travis and a letter that he actually sent out asking for help and, and reinforcements at our website, everythingspolitical.org. And it is featured in our premiere series of an American Benghazi. So part one contains that information and that letter from William Barrett Travis. Our next guest is one with whom you will be very familiar. We have read from his Substack articles. We have listened to his media clips. He is an esteemed expert in virology, immunology, microbiology. He is the chief medical and regulatory officer of the Unity Project in California that was created to combat the K-12 vaccine mandates. And he is the original inventor of the mRNA technology platform that is used in the gene therapy treatments today. He is Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, welcome, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I, I cannot wait to touch on your very passionate issue of the fifth generation warfare and how we need to be thinking differently. I do, however, want to start with a topic about which our audience is extremely curious, and that is the idea of MRA, I'm sorry, mRNA vaccine shedding. Because the, the narrative says that this technology can't shed because the basis is not a live attenuated virus. Is, is there a way you can help us understand that? So that's an interesting way to frame it up. You're right. A, uh, a live virus or an attenuated virus can absolutely be shed. Uh, it's, it's basically a, um, the kissing cousin to an infectious particle, particularly if it's live attenuated, like for instance, flu mist. Uh, the, in, in what you're touching on is central to the regulatory strategy that's been pursued and that the FDA has allowed, which is that they haven't applied the checklist for gene therapy strategies, and they also haven't applied the checklist for um, those types of potentially infectious vaccines. They've treated this as if it is a standard existing vaccine technology such as you might have with a killed and activated influenza va virus uh, vaccine or a subunit virus vaccine. Or like Novavax is one example, this uh, vaccine product that is also lipidic. It has vesicles, 
uh, lipid vesicles, but it's produced in caterpillar cells instead of being manufactured in your own body in terms of the antigen. The uh, honest answer is that we don't know about shedding from a rigorous scientific technical standpoint. So what I can say about this is to uh, refer to relevant literature. First off, we were told that the product does not last in your body, but for a few hours. Remember those days? And docs were all told that. But now there are multiple publications that show that that's just not true. Why it took uh, a couple of years, basically, or certainly a year to have that data come out is fundamentally because the FDA didn't do their job and neither did the European Medicines Agency, and they didn't uh, insist that the pharmaceutical agency does its job, uh, the pharmaceutical company like Pfizer or Moderna, and do these tests because the general rule of thumb in pharma is if the FDA doesn't make you do it, you don't do it because you may have a result that you regret having that could compromise the product and no, uh, no director of non-clinical studies or toxicology or whatever wants to have that a black spot on their CV of having killed a product. It's just the way it is in pharma. Um, we do know that there is a long circulating half-life, particularly if they die from a certain uh, method, a certain targeting method, uh, such as killing by cytotoxic T lymphocytes. So exosomes can be shed, and they can circulate in the blood, and uh, exosomes are also shed in the uh, airway when we breathe. So could those exosomes that are being shed when we breathe contain mRNA? Technically, it's possible. It's the kind of assay that could readily be done. You could put a filter and a respirator and have people breathe into it, and capture whatever's on that and elude it off and then do PCR and see if you have these RNA-like fragments there. Uh, the other thing that's a little bit worried, so it ha but it hasn't been done because it's not funded and they haven't insisted on it being done. The other thing that is relevant to this is the shedding in breast milk in uh, the lactating mother, which is why we have recommendations to... Uh, um, abstain from breastfeeding, I think it's for a couple of weeks after receiving the jab. And uh, breast is, as an organ, basically a modified sweat gland. So if it could be secreted in breast milk, in theory, embryologically, in terms of human development and anatomy, uh, it is quite possible that it could be shed in sweat. Uh is it shed in other body fluids? It's certainly plausible. Uh, in you know, I've had I don't know many how many times I got calls from young men about uh, um, whether or not they have to protect themselves during intercourse, and my response was usually, "Well, actually, the uh, vaccine is the least of your worries, and yes, you should be protecting yourself." <laughs> That's the answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. Those are bizarre calls to get, but but bottom line is you can't rule it out, right? And there's all these uh, anecdotal observations, some of which relate to uh, 
menstruation and female reproduction. And uh, that's a complex topic too, because as you know, women, for instance, if you're in a sorority uh, or you're all living in a dorm, women will of often synchronize uh, because of exocrine, uh, endocrine kind of things that happen in the environment that are not really fully understood. So you can't draw a straight line between seeing that, which I don't dispute as a valid observation, that women um, in an environment where some have been vaxxed and some have been unvaxxed, the unvaxxed are experiencing things that seem to be akin to uh, vaxxed uh, adverse events or or disruptions in menopause. I'm, I'm sorry, in menstruation. Uh, so, as you recall, probably as a woman, uh, when these reports started being uh, spoken about, we had this very mid-century language sprung on all of us that this was these women were being hysterical and they were psychotic or they were imagining these things, et cetera, et cetera. Now, over time, it's become clear that, in fact, that was all real. And uh, we even have the recent Pfizer uh, young gentleman, a couple of years out of medical school, director uh, under the Project Veritas Honey Trap, uh, in which he admitted that Pfizer believes that this is real and that they're leading a hypothesis for what's going on is that the I hesitate to call them vaccines. Uh, the products are damaging the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal gonadal axis, which is to say they're damaging the endocrine system. So I think that we're far out of the woods. All these things that are believed to be uh, conspiracy theories today uh, seem to keep getting verified over time. And the real problem is that the FDA didn't do its job and they didn't force pharma to do their job. And so we're all left guessing, which is a really bad position to be in. It is. It leaves so much uncertainty. And, you know, we don't we don't like to lead with with uh, fear here. However, like you said, there are a lot of people that have had um, incidents to which they would uh, apply this this shedding and um I think on this show, it was one of our most popular podcasts. We read from a, uh, it was an HHS document from 2015. There was an addendum in 2020, and it was about gene-based therapy products and how to trace the shedding. And right. it, so it was an HHS, but on top of every page, Dr. Malone, was contains non-binding recommendations. And I thought, why would you even do that? So that's standard in FDA land. So what's happening in part is that people are starting to dive into FDA correspondence and they're seeing things that they don't understand. Uh, the, um, the law in the United States is different from Europe as it relates to regulatory affairs. In the United States, the um, statutes don't allow the FDA to tell pharma what to do. So you end up in this very odd dance where uh, they know what you want, what they want you to do, uh, but um, you're supposed to propose that the, the um, little cute saying in the industry is uh, you propose and they dispose, uh, they being the FDA. So the way the game works is you're supposed to guess what they're thinking 
and put it into your document saying we will do these things. And then they will say, oh, yes, it's very good. You should go do those things because they're not allowed to actually tell you to go do those things. In Europe, they have guidance that specifically says you have to do this, that, and the other thing. And uh, so here in the States, as a consequence, we have these draft guidance and guidances that say these are non-binding recommendations because they have to say that because of the statutes. And um, so that's why it's at the top of each page. It's congressional. Uh, but the truth is, in, in generally, in my world, it, or what was once my world until the last three years, uh, um, when they say uh, these are non-binding recommendations, but this is what we think you can do, you should do, that translates to do these things or else you're going to be facing blowback and it's going to take you longer and you're going to have more negotiation and you're going to have to tell us why you're not doing those things. Uh, and so that's just the way the game is played, if that helps. Yes, it does. It, Thank it's, you. The whole thing is madness. And if I can share an anecdote, early on uh, before all this really broke loose, I was contacted by a guy named Steve Kirsch that you may know. Yes. And Steve was very frustrated that he couldn't get the FDA to move on uh, emergency use authorization for fluvoxamine, which he'd spent a lot of money with George Washington University to get the clinical trials done. And the clinical trials came in positive. And at the time, we were all scared silly that we were all going to die from this, including me. Uh and, you know, all that Chinese propaganda had had uh, caused all of us to, sure. to feel that we were at death's door any day. And so Steve was frustrated with FDA and he arranged for me. He asked me, he actually contacted me out of the blue. Uh, somebody told him to call Malone and see what he can do. And he wanted me to help him uh, speak to BARDA, line up meetings with key government influencers and talk to them about how to get emergency use authorization and disclose this great data that he'd been he'd been involved in generating. And uh, so I set up this meeting. I find the right person at BARDA, you know, senior person. We connect. It's the three of us on Zoom. And Steve keeps saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, uh, he's going through saying, you know, basically assuming that things make sense. And me and the other senior person from BARDA are busy going, yep, that's not the way. Uh, and, and suddenly as I'm sitting there in this conversation, I have this moment where my brain splits in two. And I'm hearing Steve's side of it saying, none of this makes sense. And I'm in the other half of my brain is saying, yeah, but this is the way things are. <laughs> and I, I realized at that moment that I was the frog that had been boiled, that I had learned and assimilated all these guidances over time and believed that it just accepted this as the way things were and never really questioned how intrinsically insane the whole thing was. And here's Steve coming in as an engineer thinking that things make sense. It was a fascinating moment, but I, I hope it kind of illustrates the situation we're in. Absolutely. Well, when things get politicized to the degree where you're sensitized, or I should say desensitized to actual productivity <laughs> and, and yes. moving the needle, right? No pun intended, but, you know, making sure um, things are moving efficaciously. It's it's frustrating. I mean, that's the premise behind the name of the show. Everything's political because it's you you become 
uh, well, I'll just say it. I mean, I was in several areas uh, programmed to go along with X, Y, Z just so you can do your work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I totally get it. And um, and they play on that so that the people don't realize this when they talk about the gubbies. Uh, this is the slang for government employees. Uh, uh, the gubbies are all siloed. They, they they have their narrow little bandwidth. This is the thing they do. This is the rules. This is how they're supposed to do it. They just sit there and turn the crank, right? Uh, for the most part, or they don't. Uh, they work from home and nothing gets done. Uh, and that's what's happened with the FDA over the last couple of years, But it, and the CDC, by the way. But in any case, that people think that the these government employees have the ability to see out over the landscape, They to see how messed up things are, but they don't. They're all siloed. They just know their little area. Interesting. So they don't necessarily see it at the 30,000 foot view. They can't. They're, They're not allowed to. And, it, and in places like the DOD and the intelligence community, it's even worse. It's really siloed. So nobody really knows what the left, the left hand never knows what the right hand is doing. I, I'm not even sure the president knows. Yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> so sure. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, do you think that's by design? Um, in terms of a lot of these agencies, it is. Uh, in terms of intelligence and military, absolutely. Uh, why, you know, in terms of, for instance, earlier I was uh, back and forth on chat with Ron Johnson. And you would think Ron Johnson of anybody would, would have a clue as to what's going on. But he's still groping in the dark. Uh, he doesn't have the power of the subpoena, and he and his aides are still trying to make sense out of what's happened. We all are. It's yeah. it's so complex and so interlaced, and and you know there's some dark nefarious stuff, but there's also stuff that just seems to be goofiness. And it, it, I always say, and I said to Ron today, it's hard to tell the difference between incompetence and nefarious. <laughs> Absolutely. So we did a whole podcast on uh, the 80-20 rule, only I redefined it based on my political experience, which is uh, in, in any situation, you have two groups of people. You have people who are ignorant, and I don't mean that as a pejorative. I just mean- uh, uh, un, un, Untutored. Yes. Untutored, or, and people who are complicit. Okay, and sometimes it's 80-20. It's but that 20% of the complicit group uh, moves the 80. They end up, you know, resolving yep. in the same way. And um, unfortunately, that's, uh, you know, we try to be complicit in the cause of liberty, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's our idea here. But um, I appreciate you uh, going through the mRNA technology like you did. That That does help. Like I said, many of our uh, audience members have had uh, experiences. I myself, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up, that we were called hysterical because I was so offended. You know, I'm a thinking person. I I used to- our You shouldn't be offended. It, it was so mid-century. It was right? insane. <laughs> um, so I, I had a, a postmenopausal bleeding issue. I And, and that's actually remarkably common. And it was, I was, I was a caregiver for someone that I did not know had received the second shot the morning I'd picked this person up and spent four days. And so allergies were bad. That's what I thought they were. 
I'm sneezing, you know, contact, I'm, you know, feeling for a fever, stuff like that. And um, on that fifth day, that happened. And the person for whom I was caring, let me know they had the had the shot. And so I immediately began ivermectin and whatever. And I called my OB, did a biopsy, all of that, because, it, you know, postmenopausal bleeding is either nothing or it's cancer. There's no in between. Right. Right. So, so yeah, I was a little uh, uptight with that. Um, and so when they came out saying, oh, they're hysterical and they're just, you know, conspiracy tinfoil, whatever. And I'm like, you know, if that were your wife, uh, certainly you're not saying that. Um, so it was, uh, it was frustrating to say the least, but at the end of the day, the way I tried to explain it to myself with the MRNA, this is a very crude MRNA for dummies mechanism of action for myself cake batter going in (laughs) download the recipe for the spike cake into your cells your ribosomes they bake it up they produce the spike cake your immune system devours the cake and your and and the idea is that then you're immune right i like it okay all right that works for me and my uh my thought process is regarding the difference between live attenuated shots and gene-based therapy or this mrna technology is that either way an antigen is produced and if your body's natural response is to expel it why not yeah so to that point there this recent uh tony fauci paper uh that is often cited in one of the baby cell publications in which he basically says that even though he denies now that that's what he said, but if you read the text, he's basically saying these shots would never have worked. And influenza vaccines, as we perform them, don't work very well. And the reason is because they generate a systemic immune response as opposed to a mucosal immune response. And those two things are different. The effector cells, your immune effector cells, actually hone to different places. They're remarkably intelligent in that sense. They have receptors that that teach these cells that they should go here versus go to your gut versus go in your bloodstream and your lymphatics. And we're using shots in a shot approach that gives rise to a systemic or parenteral response not one that gives gut immunity necessarily, but in many cases you would want gut immunity. And in other cases, you would want nasopharyngeal immunity. And that's that's the logic behind flu mist. You remember flu mist as the yeah. influenza vaccine, the live attenuated cold adapted influenza vaccine, was to generate a mucosal immune response. So uh, you know, by by Dr. Fauci's own mouth, uh this was never that great of an idea. I think, you know, it's hard to sort out in retrospect, but what the heck happened here? Why did they jam this down our throats and into our deltoids all over the world without having adequate testing? And I don't know that we're ever going to get really get to the bottom of that. We can speculate until the cows come home, but uh, in terms of getting Mr. Fauci to come clean, You know, he was put on the stand before on sworn testimony, and he forgot 160 times. Yeah, I don't. um, In in my my long journey through politics, I 
the amount of people I can count on one hand and not use all the digits, the amount of people that have come out and said, you know, we were probably wrong back there. Let's fix it. Yes, I don't I, I, I don't know about Mr. Fauci. We have a we have a pet name for him here. Lord Farquaad Fauci. Because um, <laughs> Shrek was our favorite uh, with the kids growing up. But um, it's it's an interesting dilemma. Um, I I also wanted to ask you about the new information that came out this week, I believe, um, a study by uh, Curiata et al. about the mRNA, and you mentioned earlier, staying in your blood, uh, I think they found up to 28 days after the last shot. And is our blood banks something we need to start thinking differently about? What Do you have an opinion on that? So a lot of people, a lot of physicians are starting to raise that question, including pathologists. The question is, is the amount of spike protein present in potential blood donations sufficient to cause a clinical effect? If it is, then uh, absolutely you should have the right to know whether or not you're blood product that you're accepting is contaminated with spike protein. The high levels of spike protein that are observed in um, the Rolkin et al. paper uh, from Cell from, I think it was March of last year, suggests that the levels of spike in blood may be clinically significant, which I find stunning uh, as somebody involved in the development of the tech. I never thought it was going to be that efficient. So uh, that's one of the things that's, that's surprised me all the way through is, is my colleagues had asserted that they had had some major advances in the technology. And in fact, they have. There's no question in my mind that they have. Uh, what they didn't apparently have advances in was making it more safe, <laughs> um, which was the reason why I'd abandoned it. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there it is. So... Uh, I think that the short answer is that the blood supply issue is not trivial and it must be addressed, and it's not being addressed right now by uh, the Red Cross or the uh, blood banking industry, just like there was a period of time where the risks associated with HIV were not addressed. Right. Yes. <clears throat> and there's it, it would not be that hard to add additional tests because of all the work they have to do already. Uh, one of my colleagues was in the UK during the time of the uh, spongiform encephalopathy, the mad cow disease outbreak. And because she was in the UK in that period, she's still forbidden from donating blood. Wow. My point is that... Uh, we have well-established screening protocols and questionnaires and criteria that are can be quite rigorous and persist over time, and yet there is a complete denialism about whether or not that's an issue here. Even more, uh, my understanding is that the uh, Pfizer and other pharmaceutical industry uh, major players have been big donors to the uh, transplantation societies. And you'll recall that the transplantations communities 
have been just dug in on insisting that you have to take the jab. Yes. So that there's the appearance there of a potential conflict of interest. But uh, you would think that uh, that the transplant community would be sensitive to foreign antigens like this. And if anything, they would be screening donors uh, for presence or absence of spike relative to the recipient. But maybe this is uh, a hidden logic that everybody has to be jabbed that's going to be a recipient, and then they don't have to worry about it. I don't know what what's going on. I mean, they, I don't sit in their meetings. Uh, but um, this issue that you're touching on is absolutely for real. And uh, it's there's, as you know, been some shocking examples like in New Zealand where parents of a child... Uh, really a newborn with cardiac defect arranged for donor blood that was uh, spike-free, had not taken the vaccine, presumably. Maybe Alexander. Yeah. Yes. And yet the government seized the child and insisted on the procedure uh, with um, standard donor blood. Uh, so uh, this, this is another uh, complex area. It would be expensive, Sure. Uh, um, just like it was for AIDS, but that's not a reason to not do it. Correct. Correct. And and my position on a lot of these things about which we need to start thinking differently is why not start now? Let's just let's you know vet it out, lay it out on uh, out on the table, see which areas we can make the most progress, and it may not happen in our lifetime, but at least we will have moved the ball down the field. Well, hopefully it would happen in our lifetime, uh, but uh, um, you're you're a bit younger than I am. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, it's first you, as you point out, first you have to have political will. Yes. To recognize that you have issues, and then uh, start to address them in a systematic fashion. That would be a rational public health response, and frankly, it would build public confidence. I'm sure you you're with me on that. Absolutely. Um, but there's an absolute refusal to acknowledge the possibility that something could have not been done properly. Uh, I don't know if they think somehow it's going to lose them the election when Mr. Trump is busy uh, touting how great his vaccine is. It seems to me that risk is pretty mitigated uh, unless Mr. DeSantis comes in uh, as the uh, challenger, uh, because I don't think he's going to pull his punches on this topic. And, you know, and I don't know why that is so odd these days. You know, they control the mob anyway. But, you know, Americans are some of the most forgiving people I know. If if you come out and, and fall on your sword, nine chances, nine times out of ten, we're going to say, okay, so what do we do now? Right? Thinking, I, and thinking I'm with you. Well, 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 spread that sentiment. I, I think some transparency, honesty, and integrity, and frankly, respect for human dignity, because that's really what's being trounced on, right. uh, is they're treating the likes of you and me and our audience as if we're just economic units and numbers, not right. human beings. Yes. Human capital is what they used to call it in education. They used to call our students, well, they still do, that was one of the things on our our one of our education pieces of legislation. Where I'm, and I read the uh, I believe it was race to the top, calling the children human capital. <laughs> I, I, I 
no, they're human beings. They're wonderfully, fearfully made. And uh, and we need to cater to that that proclivity. Well, this this is the whole substitution of the language of economics for God and um, uh, you know, for respect for humanity. You know, they're they've defined us well, and we've all accepted that language. And the derivative is those with the die with the most toys win. That um, the idea of uh, um, social Darwinism that those that have the most must be the most fit, that really underpins a lot of this logic of the WEF and the globalists, that because they're so wealthy, they're the most fit and the most uh, um, appropriate to make uh, global uh, decisions for all of us, uh, and that there's no real reason to have a democracy uh, because they're clearly superior. I, I think that that truly is the underlying logic. Well, and I think at one time, I've, actually, I don't know in my lifetime when that would have been true, but I remember a time way, way back when, when I used to defend people like Bill Gates, who, you know, built an empire, um, you know, found a found a product and a niche and then created da-da-da-da. Um, and hey, good for him. Uh, there, there's no finite piece of the pie. We can all create and produce. And now anymore, when I see someone from the WEF or, uh, you know, the Gates Foundation, whatever, I just think there was, uh, as my grandma used to say, when you see really green grass, there's a lot of manure underneath making it grow. <laughs> so, Bravo for grandma. Right. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> Don't mess with grandma. But, uh, and she was absolutely right. And that's how I think. Uh, about a lot of these folks nowadays, these these global overlords. Yeah, you know, there it's one that, thing to be a capitalist. That's good. Uh, and, you know, and for small businesses to thrive and grow. It's another thing to be a monopolist. Right. And Mr. Gates has clearly demonstrated that he is one of the premier monopolists in the history of uh, history. <laughs> yes, 100%. You're absolutely right. It, it It's so frustrating that um, you know, we put all this stake into colleges and college degrees and um, and, and, and I don't want to poo-poo scientific degrees because they're necessary, but I'm like, he was a high or college dropout and people are looking to him for vaccine advice. I'm not, I'm yeah. not seeing that at all, but especially well, get what I have seen. Did you see Sam Sorbo's essay recently in our Substack? I did. I did. Yeah. She's she's another warrior in the whole battlefield of of modern education. Well, we uh, absolutely look. That has to be where we start. Um, I've made the claim that if we don't like what we see on the landscape, we have to produce better. So, if we don't like the politicians that take our votes, our money, and our sweat equity, and then turn around and and you know give us the proverbial middle finger. We need to produce better people that will honor their oath versus the lobbyist that shows up at their office, right? So we just need to do better in that regard. And it's it's tough. As a mother, I don't want my children anywhere near politics. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, I don't know. But uh, yes. But it, just, it, just like my kids uh, run from medicine. Uh, they, they were like, I don't want anything to do with that. I've seen what you've had to go through. Right, right. Well- I don't know. I, I I would love to hear the dinner table conversations at your house. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, they're more. They're, the active ones are first thing in the morning when the dogs wake us up at about five thirty, and uh, Jill and I have our cups of coffee and we say, "What are we going to write about today in the Substack?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so uh, uh, I want to um, pivot here to your topic of fifth generation warfare, yeah. and of course. When I think of solutions moving forward, obviously education, obviously um, people continuing to speak freely, even though sometimes it costs them, um, you certainly can understand that. And um, I, I mean, I have the reach of a pinky finger, and yet when we debuted our website with a series that a few um, former three-letter agency people sent up the, up the coast, we were shut down in two days. Wow. It, it, and my husband at that point was like, okay, I'm a believer. That <laughs> 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 they wouldn't shut you down um, uh, over, over that series is crazy because it was very, uh, uh, it was just very real. So when you talk about fifth generation warfare, can you give us a synopsis and where you see what are the main things we should keep in mind moving forward? Well, thank you. I think this is a really important topic. It seems esoteric. And just to illustrate, when I went to Stockholm and gave the lecture on this that kind of uh, uh, alerted some people, uh, the, the, um, the Swedes objected to the title. They wanted me to change the title. Uh, I, was, I was actually on the plane heading to London as the intermediary, and, and I wrote to them and I said, look, this is what it's called. And if you want me to drop warfare from the title, I can just come back from London. I don't have to go to Stockholm. Good <laughs> and they and they conceded the point, uh, but they they liked that the title. So I modified the title slightly uh, to be Fifth Generation Warfare and Sovereignty. And that's that's kind of a key interface. So the at the super high level. Fifth generation warfare is really a gradient of warfare. Calling it a generation is a bit misleading. It's the gradient that is kind of the farthest towards pure propaganda, as opposed to uh, knives and swords or kinetic weapons as, as an intermediate, okay? We always have propaganda during warfare. I'm sure they had propaganda during the War of the Roses, uh, but... Having having the the battleground be your mind, the battleground here is no longer about territory. It's about your mind, what you think, what your emotions are, what information you find acceptable and allow into your mental space. That's the battlefield. Your your mind is in that of all of the listeners here is the battlefield. In fifth generation warfare, just to give that, continue with that high level uh, um, summary, in fifth generation warfare, the uh, effort expended should be low energy as opposed to the high energy of what's going on in Ukraine, for example, with tanks and kinetic weapons and missiles and, and all that. In, in fifth gen warfare, you... If it's done properly, the antagonist, the leadership, to the extent there is leadership, that is 
thrusting these ideas into the mind of the recipients and these and manipulating their emotions should should not be visible if it's done properly you never know who your antagonist is so just to illustrate the point who is the person behind the covid crisis that's the puppet master at the wef good luck figuring that out right it's not klaus schwab he's clearly a puppet he's not a puppet master you know, is it King Charles? He's the one that announced the Great Reset. I don't think King Charles is the puppet master either, right? And and then then we don't really know. It fades into obscurity. Is it the Bank of International Settlements? Is it the World Bankers? Is it BlackRock? Is it Larry Fink? Is it all the above? Is it the intelligence community? We don't know, right? We just know what's being done to us. Fifth-gen warfare. Fifth-gen warfare is really difficult, in terms of the battlefield. An example of the battlefield for fifth-gen warfare is Twitter. Twitter is both a weapon, a fifth-gen war weapon, and a battlefield. So is Facebook, but you know, Facebook is increasingly not of interest to the young. Uh, things like uh, WeChat are. Um, and uh, so like with those applications, all of these social media tools are really intelligence gathering and mind manipulation tools. How does that work? You got shadow banned, I'm sure, from time to time on Twitter. And you probably took it personally. What are they doing to me? What right do they have to do that to me, right? Or you got deleted like me. What what right do they have to do that? And then we get into this argument about, um, you know, whether they have the constitutional right to censor free speech because they're a private business, and we go around and around on that. Or are they uh, public? This public uh, space, and uh, they shouldn't be able to censor us. And certainly, I think we can all agree that the federal government shouldn't be colluding with them to censor us. That's a pretty clear breach of First Amendment. Not that the government cares anymore. Right. Because that's another feature of fifth gen warfare. The civilian and military populations um are are irrelevant. There is a complete blurring of the battlefield and the combatants. So uh there's no separation between military and non-military personnel, which in all prior generations or gradients of warfare, there always have been. So you have an environment where there's no clear leader. Information is being pushed out into your mind in subtle ways that you don't even know are happening. They're manipulating your very emotions in what you're able to see. Uh, and they are doing it to cause you to convert, basically, to a point of view that they see useful. It doesn't mean that the CCP is trying to convert you to Maoism. It's good enough to convert you to hating your neighbor. Right. Right? That's, that's good enough in unlimited warfare. Another thing about fifth gen, the fifth gen battlefield, are there, there are no ethics. There are no rules of engagement. In standard warfare, there's always rules of engagement, right? You take prisoners, uh, you know, all these, we have prisoner exchanges, uh, we don't commit atrocities, we don't rape and pillage anymore, et cetera, et cetera. In fifth-gen warfare, all that's gone because you don't really know who the combatants are, you don't know who the aggressors are, um, 
to illustrate a little bit more, just drilling in on Twitter. Twitter was deployed as a weapon during Arab Spring. Our military often will deploy weaponry uh, in a combat environment to kind of test, test it out and further develop it. So rotary wing aircraft were basically test marketed or developed during the Southeast Asian conflict we call the Vietnam War in Cambodia. Okay, so Twitter was deployed during Arab Spring as a tool for manipulating crowd behavior and thought. How does that work? Twitter can be integrated. If you are using your cell phone for Twitter or WeChat or whatever your application is, um, and you're in an urban environment or a semi-urban environment where there's at least three cell towers, you can be precisely triangulated. They know precisely where you are. And they can use satellite-based tools and low-Earth orbit and balloons, spy balloons, with Gorgon Stare to get high-resolution imaging of who you are, which means they can tell what the truck is that you get into, what building you go into, who you're standing next to, who you're interacting with. Furthermore, all this data can be integrated, uh, they call it data fusion, with the information that's extracted from the content of what you're tweeting. And that includes validated emotional content. So there are tools, and I know this because I used to have a client that did this, okay, that built these tools, uh, and they were used for advertising and marketing, but they were used for political campaigns, and they're also used for intelligence, okay? And uh, with these tools, they can precisely map who you're interacting with, that cloud of persons. And with statistical accuracy, they can see where you are in that cloud in terms of your degree of radicalization or anger, behavior, et cetera, right? And they can choose, this is where shadow banning comes in. That's algorithmic. What it's doing is it's saying, okay, you are saying something that we really don't want your contacts to be encountering. Or we do. You could be saying, hey, we should all show up in this plaza and go storm the president's palace. Okay. And suddenly your tweet, you're like, good heavens, how come that went viral? All right. People must really like that. Well, they've turned up the volume because that's they want to direct you towards that. Now, on top of that, since they have all this detailed information about what you're thinking, what your emotions are, what the people around you are thinking, what they're all saying, where you are in this spectrum of radicalization with all the people you're interacting with. They know precisely where you are. They know what they, you look like. They know what the license plate is on your truck, right? Um, they can also target you kinetically. They can target you by uh, having people encounter you, okay? So this is the modern battlefield. This is how these tools are used, and now we have these new layers that are coming on, like drone swarms, where uh, the new military battlefield is one in which you have artificial intelligence or deep learning directed uh, distributed swarms of uh, uh, semi-autonomous vehicles, drones, that each have capabilities to engage and it is extremely difficult to counter those. You don't have enough bullets, right? right. You, can't, you can't do it. 
and they're all moving randomly, right? So you can't predict where they're going because they have the ability to move in three-dimensional space in a random fashion. It's not like you they have a, a projected ter- ter- a trajectory based on Newtonian physics, you know, that you fire from here with this much force and it's going to go there eventually and this is the way it's going to go or a missile that you launch is going to go up and it's going to come down. That's all gone in drone warfare. So there's this whole new battlefield that fuses everything. And of course, one of the things in that new battlefield is biowarfare and pharmaceutical manipulation. These are just the facts. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then dialing it back, people are often confused. Well, if that's fifth generation warfare, what are the other generations? For quickly, first generation warfare is basically knives and sticks and rocks and uh, swords. You're, you may have random groups. You may have battle lines. You typically have a command structure. It's coming from the king or the general or something like that, all the way down to the foot soldier. Foot soldier does and he shoots his arrow where he's told to shoot it. Okay. Second generation warfare, we dial in. You can think of the Civil War as an early example, American Civil War of second gen, where we have a, these really powerful gunpowder-fired kinetic weapons. And then World War I becomes the ultimate embodiment of, of second gen warfare. We have these battle lines. They're just slugging it out in the mud with each other, with gas. That's the start of biowarfare also, right? Um, and, but we still have a vertical command structure. You know, the, the general in in England says, dee, 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 and the soldier goes out and goes tries to shoot somebody. Um, then along comes the Maginot Line in France and Nazi Germany. And Nazi Germany, when it takes France, actually has inferior technology, case can be made. But what it has is superior battle plans. You allow a decentralized command structure, think Rommel, where you're allowing field commanders operational latitude. So as they encounter the Maginot line, they can say, okay, we just need to go around that pillbox and here and there. We're not just going to come at it in a big uh, single front. Okay. And that is incredibly successful. Um, What's going on in Ukraine right now is really third gen warfare. Fourth gen warfare is Viet Cong. It's Al-Qaeda. It's the Taliban. It's what happened in Syria. I argue that we have never won a fourth generation war, Nicaragua. Okay. Fourth generation warfare is an adaptive response to an overwhelming enemy. And you're faced with an asymmetric warfare battlefield. What are you going to do? Okay. And so in fourth gen warfare, this decentralized control becomes the dominant feature. So, for instance, after Osama was killed, Al-Qaeda actually got stronger because it became totally decentralized, semi-autonomous cells. They had general guidance, kill Americans, but each one acted independently. It was whack-a-mole. The U.S. Army couldn't figure out where to go, right? Uh, And the intelligence agencies all running around chasing their tail, trying to figure out who's who and who's really in charge when nobody's in charge, okay? Um, so decentralized command, but they're still fighting over territory, but they're using propaganda much more aggressively. They're pushing ideas about religion, about culture, 
role of men and women, all these things are being pushed into the population as part of the control structure. And they're basically making the case the Westerners are different from us. You know, we're from you. Uh, you should like us because we're like you, that kind of logic, right? And then fifth gen is basically the West's attempt to counter that, in which they go completely propaganda. And uh, it's not theoretical. The documentation is in, in the UK, Canada, New Zealand, Australia in particular, and to some extent the United States, that we have had um, PSYOPs battle groups with our militaries, like the 77th Brigade in the UK, deploying this technology designed for offshore combat against these insurgency groups, it has been deployed against our civilian populations. And what does it matter in this context? I argue that it really matters in, in a number of different ways. I mean, to know that you've been manipulated like this by your government is pretty striking. Yes. Um, but uh, in in a way in which there are no rules, lying is okay, anything goes, right? Um, censorship, gaslighting, trolls, bots, all that is fifth-gen warfare going on. But um, what I like to emphasize is that all of us have been subjected to this for three years now. Some of us, like yourself, because of your past experience, um, you know, whatever has led you to become able to see what's going on, to be awake, we call it, right? Not woke. Um, uh, you've awakened or you've been awake. For me, I, I started this naive. I started this thinking the world was a place where uh, the government tried to do good and we could trust them and things like that. But you know, I used to read the New York Times and the Washington Post. Those days are gone. I used to watch CNN. Right? Wow. <laughs> I kind of can't believe it now in retrospect. Uh, once you see this, you can never unsee it. But um, most people have not. Most people have been subjected to this and they haven't realized what's been done to them. They haven't realized they've been hypnotized. They haven't realized they've been manipulated. And so the derivative of that, as far as I'm concerned, is that not in the case, I'm not saying forgive Tony Fauci and just move on, or Rochelle Walensky, or Tedros, or Klaus Schwab, or we can go up the food chain, right? Right. Or Rochelle Walensky. But in terms of your mother, your daughter, your aunt, your coworker, the person, the poor soul that is still wearing a face mask in the grocery line. Um, yeah. uh, those people have been subjected to this incredible, highly developed propaganda. And I think you, if, if you keep in mind that they are, have been subjected to this, then it's easier to open your heart. Absolutely. Because you can't, you, you're never going to convince them if you hate them. You're never going to convince them if you're angry at them. Um, you have to open your heart and say, not that they're victims, but yeah, kind of, that they've been subjected to this, and maybe we shouldn't hate them. Maybe we should think of them in a more, let's say, Christian way. Yes. 
It's, you know, you make a very good point. I think a lot, I think the hurdle for a lot of people uh, is, is the vitriol that we received. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I saw it immediately when, when Tony Fauci came on national TV and two weeks prior, he had said, there's nothing to see here. And when uh, two weeks later, he said, basically, we're all going to die gasping for air waiting on a hospital bed. And I said, no, that missing link is with Darwin. He's lying. And, um, you know, I got the family together and I said, I don't think this is what they say it is. Um, you know, we had a co- we had conversations about it. But when I reached out to people that, you know, had been with me on the front lines for the last 20 years in the cause of liberty in whatever realm, um, I mean, they were legit freaking out and i i I wasn't i I wasn't judging them because i understood that they were afraid um rather i just said hey let's let's look at the data and there were like four warriors out there that were bringing data to what we only perceived as a possibility right um jordan satchel was one alex berenson was one so there were i call them the fab four um because they were putting data for instance, the um, the high risk uh, stratifiers like the age, the cohorts, um, or the obese, and um, that were had underlying issues. And uh, but the vitriol of people that wanted our kids taken away, yeah. wanted us out of our jobs. And at the end of the day, I think you're right. They were subject to something we've never seen before to the degree that we've never seen before. And that has to appeal. Uh, there has to be some, uh, we have to be magnanimous about it. It's difficult to get there at times. If, if we don't, we play right into the to the strategy of our aggressors. Absolutely. 100%. It's in their interest to divide us, even, but it's going to take a huge leap. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of anger. I can tell you that in Europe, particularly you know, Germany in in the former Eastern Bloc, those people ha- also saw through this, and they're kind of like I've seen that movie before. And uh, there's a lot of anger out there, and it's simmering. And I I am sincerely concerned about where it goes. Here in the states, it seems like people are a little more passive, or maybe we're just so burned out, or we almost expect corruption now. Yeah. Um, it's bizarre. I mean, you used to think uh, America was this shining city on the hill and India and Italy were corrupt. Uh, but now the rest of the world looks at what the happened in the United States and they're like, are you any different? Yeah. Um, That's a great point. We, um, it, I said at one point, we've gone from morning in america to the morning of america and motor likes to turn a phrase yeah because um, i mean when you think about it it um we evolved immediately into this something that we were never meant to be never designed to be um you know the the republic i think is not even recognizable anymore um yeah. i think it operates just under a moniker um but just very uh, unfortunate circumstances. But I I wanted to ask you one point 
of, of strategy on the fifth generation or gradients of warfare and sovereignty. I'm big on sovereignty. Oh, yeah. So that's a key point. Um, go ahead, but I want to say something about that specifically. Go ahead. Regarding our engagement in the tools of the enemy, I call it the Boromir option. Let us use this ring for good, right? <laughs> and I, I understand that if we don't engage, then our voices are gone, and there's an echo chamber in there. Um, I, don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts on engaging in those in those tools? Necessary, oh, mandatory? So thanks, thanks for mentioning that. Um, uh, what I've been trying to speak out about and recommend is, uh, number one, let's acknowledge, as we did earlier when we were talking about uh, the Minometra Raja and other irregularities, that there are vaccine damaged, that many of them are profoundly damaged. They're also vaccine dead. They need to be recognized. They need to be treated. They need to be treated with dignity and respect and not gaslit. But there are those in that community, and I'm one, I, I'm also vaccine damaged, just to say, um, there are those in that community that assume that role of being a victim and they identify as I'm a, I'm vaccine damaged. Um, and in a sense, all of us can identify as victims. We've all been victimized truly by what the government has deployed against us, the lies and the and the fifth gen and all that. We're all victims of that. Uh um, even those ones that went, you know, deep into the crazy land. Uh on both sides. Yes. Uh um we can choose to not be victims. And you used a key word a moment ago, warriors. We can choose to not be victims um, in a in a stepwise fashion, if people take the time to read Michael Flynn's recent book, it's just a little thing. It's easy to get through. Or the online publication about 5GW, that's not about uh, cell towers. Right. Uh, um, you can learn about what they've been doing, just like we've all learned in our childhood and, and young adulthood about the tricks of Madison Avenue. Those that are of us that are awake can see right through a McDonald's commercial in the jingle, right? Because we've grown up with it. Right. Uh, unfortunately, people in uh, emerging economies haven't, and they're like sheeps to the slaughter before Madison Avenue. But for us Americans, most of us have seen advertising all our lives, and we're relatively resistant to a lot of the manipulations. Fifth gen warfare is a lot like advertising, only you know on steroids. Great analogy, yes. And so, if we learn these techniques that are being deployed on us at a minimum baseline, we can see through them. We can see when they're doing them to us. We can see when the New York Times and in Time Magazine and uh, the Washington Post and CNN are deploying fear porn or these other manipulative strategies where they, you know, only allow certain points of view to be discussed, et cetera, whether we're talking about Ukraine or uh, 
or the, the gas lines uh, going into Germany that were blown up, or, or wokeism, or transgender issues, or whatever. Once we see the tricks that they use, we can see through them. Once we see the deployment of bots and trolls on the internet, we know how to deal with them. We can say to ourselves, well, these are not real people, or even if they are, they're basically just serving a master. Right. You can use the rings metaphor. Yeah. And and then you don't feel bad about just saying block, 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 block. Right? So once you learn about it, then you can become more resistant. And as you become more adept and you learn more, you can become a warrior. You, because one of the lovely things about fifth gen warfare is that it doesn't take much money. It's low energy. You don't have a centralized command. You know, I'm not the leader. Uh, Peter McCullough is not the leader. We're all leaders in in an optimal environment of of forcing them to play whack-a-mole. Yes. Right? And so we're autonomous. We have our sovereignty, and we can be empowered. We can be warriors. We don't have to be victims. And as I said in Stockholm, the battle group in the United States down in Fort Bragg, 4th Division, I think it is, battle group that uh, grew out of the ghost army uh, of World War II, right? The inflatable tanks and things that were used to distract the Germans. Uh, and they're a bunch of artists and and scholars and, you know, they're drawn from different walks of life. They're very good at what they do, but they're only 800. And that audience that I was addressing in Stockholm was 1,300 people. And what I said was, if you all choose to be warriors, we've got them outgunned. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is a battleground where the people can win. I love that. Here's the last point. Um, you mentioned the word sovereignty. Um, and this is kind of deep and a little bit spooky. I'm, I'm scary, I should say. Spooky refers to the CIA. Um, it's scary. What does sovereignty mean in a world in which your thoughts, beliefs, emotions are not your own, where they're actively manipulated. You've lost your sovereignty. In a fifth-gen battlefield, if you don't understand what's being done to you and you're not resistant to it, you have completely conceded your sovereignty. The con very co concept of sovereignty becomes obsolete. It's an anachronism. Okay, that What is being done to us, as far as I'm concerned, is, as Yusuf Malores calls it, the rape of the mind, mm. right? We use words like brainwashing and things like this, hypnosis. This this should be disallowed. This this is not the proper role of government to be manipulating our thoughts and emotions. Yet they're doing it. The other thing I like to say is, when you have people from the lowest level bureaucrat up to the president sworn to uphold and defend the constitution and they're conspiring to circumvent the first amendment what is the remedy the only remedy is impeachment and there's no way we're going to get impeachment right we got a problem right here in river city yes well that goes back to political will yep yes yeah. Uh, what what is the world you want your children to live in? Right. Do you want them to be indentured servants? Well, all I know here is that we're going to go down fighting whatever whatever happens. Damn <laughs> I mean, there's just no other option. But um, I 
I so appreciate your time today. I want to ask you one last question and I'll let you go. If you were teaching a medical ethics course right now, what would be the main thing you would want to effectively communicate to your students about the last three years and about moving forward? Um, this is a clear example of what happens when you allow a breach of fundamental medical ethics, particularly the concepts of informed consent. This was the thing that I originally wrote, a my, kind of my coming out essay uh, in Trial Site News was when I when I wrote and said we are we have breached fundamentals of bioethics, going all the way back to the Nuremberg Accord, um, Helsinki Agreement, uh, the Common Rule, and unfortunately those breaches were codified in federal law prospectively. Our legislators, in a kind of a creeping um, uh, deployment or, or um, extraction of human rights, have allowed uh, the logic of biodefense, of the need to be able to respond rapidly and effectively, to be weaponized to strip us of fundamental human dignity and rights. And when that happened, then suddenly, just like in Nazi Germany and just like under the emperor in Japan, atrocities happen. They do. Abu Ghraib was an atrocity. If you, if you um, proceed in a world uh, and define uh, moral relativity as transactional, you know, the greatest good for the greatest number, the utilitarian concept. Uh, this is what you get. And that's why we have to have, you, you mentioned medical training, medical teaching. Jill and I, you know, Dr. Jill Glassbill Malone, my partner in all this for 44 years as of last week. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, uh, we were really rigorously trained in bioethics. And uh, her mentor for her PhD was a bioethicist. And uh, what we've seen is the consequence of moral relativism. And we see it, it is at the root of what we're seeing all over. When we were taking training, when I was a young man in school, and people were debating the logic of moral relativism, the thing that was considered the example of uh, a line that just should never be crossed in moral relativity was clitorectomy. Clearly, clitorectomy in Africa was just beyond the pale. Female genital manipulate, uh, mutilation was beyond the pale. Okay, And now we've normalized this transgender surgery, which makes clitorectomy look like child's play. Yes. Yes, that's an um, I, it's stunning, and it all derives from the logic that there are no um, underpinning uh, moral uh, realities. Uh, there, and, and reality itself is entirely situational and personal. What when you go there, suddenly anything is possible. You can do anything to your fellow man. You can justify it. 
it's so easy. It's such a slippery slope, utilitarianism. Yes. You can yes. justify almost anything if you're if you're sufficiently motivated. Yeah. And that's that's what we've come to. That is the underpinning of the World Economic Forum's logic of the 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 singularity and uh um man is God, right? Whole base and uh transhumanism and the fusion of man and machine and the blending of technology and directed evolution under human guidance that uh old uh school um uh selection uh you know uh is Darwinian selection evolution is is obsolete and uh we should take control of our futures all this you know through genetic engineering etc uh you know anybody that hasn't seen the movie Gadagash should do so yes that's yes. that's where they want to take us yes and it's all grounded in the idea that there's no actual tangible reality. Reality is whatever you make it um, in a virtual world. Uh, and uh, that's, so you ask what I would teach? Uh, it's that uh, those fundamental principles that are, we could use the Bible and Judeo-Christian ethics or however you want to approach it, but there are fundamental principles of how to behave in a human, effective human society that have been in place for thousands of years. And to throw those out the window because uh, some old band that hangs out in Davos thinks that it's the time to do it, uh, and, and he's come up with a better idea, and the bankers really know the way to do things, and if they just had enough data and artificial intelligence machinery, they could optimize the world for all of us, and we'd have a worker's paradise, because that's really what they're saying. Right. You know? Um, they're really saying from each according to his abilities and yes. to each according to his needs. They're just not yes. saying it. Correct. That's the subtext to all of it. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going there and I don't want my kids to go there. And I suspect you're with me on that. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's that's why they have, uh, well, I wouldn't say passively, but they go after the children because that's part of the platform is to remove, and I'll quote from the Communist Party platform is to remove children at the earliest possible time from the crude influence of their families, so we raise good, good communists or socialists or Marxists. I agree with you. We've erased the or we've allowed the lines to be erased. Um, we did a show about it, it. Used to be a pregnant woman didn't even look sideways at a at an aspirin or a Tylenol yeah. or. You know, I mean, I'll, it, it, you didn't even look at a glass of wine or, you know, whatever. And now it, it let's just pump these women at the full of, you know, toxins or whatever. And I'm like, where did that go? Yeah. And how is it that that we've allowed, I call it the whole country, we've got an atom complex. We want to be God, right? And, and the or, people that are- And Yuval Harari's even said it, another bite of the apple. Another bite of the apple. There you go. Well, I like to blame Eve myself, but um, I'm not sure I'm <laughs> I'm the uh, alone on that. But um, Dr. Malone, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time today. This has been uh, one of the neatest, best conversations I've had. Um, I want to let everybody know that um, your book, Lies My Government Told Me, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, there it is, um, <laughs> The Real Anthony Fauci, and uh, Ed Dowd's book, 
the uh, there it is, cause unknown, the epidemic. I was just given that as a gift. I'm halfway through it. Excellent. Um, and I will say that I did need a few glasses of wine to get even halfway through it. Um, it's a difficult book to read, but um, again, and and so those are available where? Can you let us know? Uh, right now, they're all available free on Kindle until uh-huh. Monday. All three books available free on Kindle until Monday. So grab them while you can. And of course, you can, if you feel the need to buy the hardback version, you can buy them from Amazon or Barnes and Noble or direct from Skyhorse or uh, your favorite bookseller, but probably not on the uh, corner bookstore unless they're used. But but the deal right now, Jill and I really wanted these things to be made available to people, even if they didn't have the money. We have many subscribers on our Substack that are you know they're on pensions, they're they're you know on the thin edge, and we don't we don't require people to pay for our Substack. You can subscribe for free, and it'll just come to your inbox. And likewise, we wanted this material to be available to people so that they can better understand the world around them. Right. Not, not they don't have to think like we think, or they don't have to believe what we believe. But I think the information there is useful for everybody, no matter where you on the, are on the political spectrum. Absolutely. And lastly, um, can you tell us where you are on uh, in the Boromir option? On <laughs> social media. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, in the camp, and I've written about this, and it's uh, I had some pushback from people. Uh, I think it's the right thing to learn how to use these weapons. Uh, you could, you know, if we're going to talk about Boromir, we could talk about using an axe. Uh, but um, in my opinion, just because they do it to us, lie and cheat and steal, uh, if we do it to them, we become them, right? We okay. become orcs, to stay with your metaphor. Remember, orcs uh, were originally uh, um, uh, elves, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, you know you're talking. Wow. Uh, uh, so, um, you know, we don't want to become orcs. Uh, we should remain elves uh, and uh, and be the magical beings that we are and not allow that darkness into our soul uh, that that is so easy to allow in when we're consumed with hate. I, I really try hard. Sometimes it's not so easy to be a happy warrior. You referred to Ronald Reagan earlier. Yes. Uh, um, to try to see the silver lining, to try to see the shining city on the hill, to try to imagine what that might look like, and to strive towards it, and to share that with other people rather than just it's so easy to, you know, stoke fear and outrage and anger. Um, it's good for clicks, whether you're CNN or a small podcaster, but it is absolutely not um, ethical, in my opinion. Uh, we need to strive to be better than that. Uh, so there's my answer about Boromir. Well, I think, um, and Sun Tzu would agree with you, the, the idea is to defeat your enemy without becoming your enemy. Right. I mean, that's just otherwise, you know, why do it? Why do it? Um, Dr. Malone, thank you. Uh, Quickly on social media. How how do people find you? So it's R.W. Malone, M.D. So at R.W. Malone, M.D. on Twitter, on Getter, 
Uh, and I think it's also Gab and Truth Social. I use the same tagline. And the Twitter is now um, heading towards 1.1 million. So wow. join us there. And the Substack, rwmalonemd.substack.com. Uh, we're now hitting about half a million to a million pairs of eyes day in, day out. Uh, so that's, we're hitting CNN's primetime audience or more, uh, which is amazing for two people and a couple of part-time workers. Uh, but that's the new media, right? right. That's that's right. Uh, the podcast and everything else. That's why I built this studio is is if you want to get your word out, that's the way you got to play it is, is uh, again, you know, trying to play by their rules, but around, work around them. Yep. Uh, so, and then the last one is the Malone Institute. Uh, so that's maloneinstitute.org. And there you'll find all kinds of documents you can download. And the one that's most popular is we have the most comprehensive spreadsheet of World Economic Forum trained young leaders. So you'll find the likes of Governor Newsom, Governor Inslee, uh, are uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, Krista Friedland, uh, all that cast of characters have been through this five-year indoctrination program. And it's not just politicians. They're in industry and banking, all kinds of, they've been placed there intentionally. I argue they should all be forced to register as foreign agents, but uh, because they really are uh, serving the World Economic Forum, they're not serving the United States of America, in my opinion. Right. Uh, but uh, you can find all that kind of stuff at MaloneInstitute.org. Institute.org. Thank you so much for that. And please thank your wife for us, for being okay. such a uh, happy and awesome warrior and a supporter of you, obviously, for 44 years. That's amazing. And uh, I can't thank you enough again. Uh, it is it's an honor and a pleasure to be on the battlefield with you. Ha, thank you. Uh, I'll take that. That's a win. <laughs> All right. Take care. We'll talk to you soon.